Welcome to Tiber's Watchcast, an audio companion to the Substack movie newsletter Tiber's Watchlist at tiberswatchlist.substack.com. I'm a film critic and author with four decades of experience, and the Watchcast is an excuse to invite friends and colleagues over to talk about movies and genres and TV shows and music and weird pop culture stuff. So welcome to another WatchCast. Our guest today is Anna Sortoon. She is a celebrated chef in the Boston area and indeed nationwide. She is a graduate of the La Varenne École de Cuisine de Paris, which will come up, I think, will be germane to our conversation at some point today. She is the chef, owner, and executive director of three restaurants, Oleana, uh, which opened in 2001, Sofra, which opened in 2008, and Sarma, which opened in 2013. I've eaten at all of them. They are resplendent. The food is tremendous, and she especially works with flavors of the Middle East. She's written a book called Spice, Flavors of the Eastern Mediterranean in 2006, which is a great book. I highly recommend it. And uh, she is a multiple James Beard Award nominee and uh, winner of the Best Chef of the Northeast in 2005. So, in fact, she is perfectly poised to discuss food movies and movies that depict what happens behind the scenes in a restaurant, what happens at the tables in the restaurant, what is what feels real, what feels fake, and to discuss what is my favorite food movie and is uh, actually hers as well. Um, and also to talk about a new TV series that has a lot of people talking that also takes place in the kitchen. So welcome, Anna. Uh, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much, Ty. And thank you for such a nice introduction. It's nice to be here. Appreciate it. First of all, I kind of wanted to ask you, do you watch food movies? Do you watch movies about, you know, restaurants and chefs? Or is that just you know, you get enough of that in your day job. Oh, I definitely, I definitely find them really interesting. I think so. it depends. I think sometimes as, as they can be a little stressful if I'm not selective, like the TV shows, not necessarily, but a really good food movie. There's nothing better. I think it reminds us that it's okay to be so crazy about food because food really connects um, mm. so many dots for so many things and so many people. Um, what, in your opinion, makes a good food movie. Oh, I think when I watch something like Babette's Feast, it reminds me about the power of food and sitting around the table um, and how it can absolutely transform or change people's mood or even beliefs or, hmm. you know, levels of happiness. It's a really powerful, I love powerful scenes where people really put food on a pillar that I think deserves a lot of respect. And I think we we all forget um, and take for granted how amazing food can be and how mm. it can uh, get us around a table and really change things for us. Is there a food movie that goes into your hall of shame? Um, <laughs> or another way of asking that is, what's, what's a, a movie or depiction that gets it wrong in your view? Or there may not be. I don't think there's necessarily a wrong, but I, I think everyone has their own experiences. And I, I think I've got my own experience, but I feel like anything that's really trying to tell the story. Uh, and I think food means so much in to everyone in different cultures that it just isn't like there is no wrong or right. And food can be mm. a really personal thing. But I do appreciate when there's some sort of notice 
and reality as far as like what what goes into the work behind it too because oftentimes mm. you know when you put things into tv or film they make things look easy they make things look quick they don't actually you know really film the process much it's always mm. okay sitting around the, they jump right into sitting around the table and i think i really enjoy it when there's an actual process part of it because um it makes you understand sort of what goes behind the sort of love care and detail of what can go behind the food and how much of a sort of a piece of art it can be as well mm. well that makes sense uh, that babette's feast is uh, your favorite food movie um because that is all about the process and it's all about the art when, when did you first see that movie so this uh babette's feast is a um classic film from the 90s that won the oscar for Best International Film, Best Foreign Film. Uh, and it is based on an Isaac Dinesen, um Karen Blitzen short story. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you talk about it, but I'm just curious about when you first came across it and uh, what was your response when you first saw it? I think I saw it right when it came out in the 90s. I feel like it was, it. you know, <laughs> to be honest, the first like maybe half an hour in the theater, I was trying not to fall asleep because it, it was kind of a slow start. But Hmm. It resonated with me. It resonated with me because um, my family is Norwegian and Scandinavian, not necessarily as spiritual or as religious as these folks were, but it was, uh, you know, this sort of very kind of reserved stoic hmm. culture. And so I, I kind of started to relate to them almost like, oh my goodness. Okay. I understand this sort of culture and then i think at that point what was what i was really really relating to was that babette was this you know kind of uncovered that she was this chef from from france mm. and and then all of a sudden the story really grabbed me and uh again the process part i think the juiciest part is in the middle for me mm. but it was it was a fantastic and ahead of its time sort of story too when it came out i feel like yeah. I should point out, by the way, it, it, the movie was released in 1987. So it's a late 80s, not a 1990s movie. Where were you in your food journey when you saw the movie? Okay. So 87, I was probably, that was probably around the time when I had just gotten back from cooking school in Paris. So I was young. And now I really, now I really understand why that resonated with me too. Cause that was, it was probably right when I had gotten home and it was a, terrific story that kind of summed up my experience there. So it was a it was a movie that really hit home for me for sure. Wow. Yeah, it was really you were right at the crossroads. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who haven't seen the movie, which I highly recommend, it is set in the 19th century in a very, very rural backwoods part of um, Denmark uh, in a small community of a uh, Christian sect, which is overseen by two elderly sisters whose father started the sect. Um, and they live very, very simply. The only thing they eat is this horrible concoction mm. called bread soup that looks like shit, honestly. And into their life comes a refugee from the um, Civil War in France uh, named Babette, played by Stéphane Autran, uh, the French, great French actress. And um, she arrives at their doorstep needing a place, needing uh, asylum, and they can't pay her anything, but she um, offers to become their cook for free. And so she does become their cook for, uh, for 14 years. And contents herself with basically making do with what they've got there, which is bread soup and, and lots of fish, lots of dried fish. Things change when toward uh, about midsection, Babette learns that she has won a lottery 
that her somebody in France has kept her, uh, you know, entering her in year after year. And she's all of a sudden, there's a windfall. And she decides that she is going to return to Paris. But before she goes, she is going to put on a great feast for the sisters and for the community. And at which point... And I'm curious to know what Anna, what you what you think of this when when the ingredients start arriving. That's when the movie all of a sudden it's taking place in this very sort of gray. Everything's gray. Everything's brown. There's hardly any sunshine. Uh, these people are very pious. They're very good, but they live minimalist lives. And then all of a sudden, things start arriving for this feast. Do you remember some of them? Oh my God, yeah. And I feel like it's a great movie to see right now just because it reminds all of us, you know, how lucky we are that we don't have to bring a whole live turtle over <laughs> and quails in a little cage, you know, that we don't have to pluck them ourselves. And I mean, I think it was, you know, talk about a distribution reminder, <laughs> you know, the food comes over by boat from France, right? And right. is unloaded and carried in and it's, you know, it's carried in like, it's not just bags of groceries. Um, it's fabulous. And I, I remember, too, when you said their diet consists of dried fish. And there's so many there's so many great visuals in that movie in the beginning of, of fish hanging and drying. Mm. And you really start very subtly uh, understanding what food means to these people in the beginning. I mean, not, but it, you know, as you progress into the movie, you can tell that the only, the only joy these people really receive, I think, is through their their singing. And I can't tell if all the singing is sort of a distraction, like anytime anything's confrontational or uncomfortable, they just start singing or what, you know, what the singing is used for. But just a reminder how the food, you know, how much preparation and detail um, goes into it when you're when you're dealing with these live animals that then break down into the dish. I mean, mm. we miss a lot of that these days when we cook. We, you know, nothing, we're not processing much ourselves at all. So it was pretty amazing putting myself in her shoes, watching her mm. deal with all that food from start to finish. Have you ever made turtle soup? Never. No. Mm. And I don't even, I don't even know how I would break down that turtle. I mean, I have uh -huh. no idea how she did that. Right, right. In the movie, they bring in this immense green sea turtle and tr trundle it through town to the horror of, of the villagers who've never seen anything like it. <laughs> and in fact, a lot of the humor in this part of the movie comes from the villagers and the sisters looking at these ingredients rolling in and being terrified because it's far more indulgent and decadent and rich than anything they can get their brains around. Um, and they, they, they get together and they, they're, they're going to have the feast because Babette means a lot to them, but they are not going to let themselves taste anything. <laughs> they promise to each other they're not going to shut off their taste buds. I, can you even do that? I don't think you can. But uh, then we get to the feast itself, and it should be pointed out that there's not just the villager there, but there is a general, a visiting uh, army general who in his youth fell in love with one of the sisters and was not able to be with her because she was devoted to her father's um, sect. And he uh, went off. He was at that point, he was a young uh, soldier living a profligate gambling life. But then he went off and had a successful life and comes back an elderly general who's very tired of the world, very cynical, very world-weary. Nothing means anything to him. He's, he's the opposite of these villagers in that he's sampled everything 
um, and nothing means anything to him. Um, and they're, they haven't tasted anything, but they're very naive, very optimistic, very hopeful. And they all sit down together at this banquet. And they, they, well, it's his role in it is interesting. Do you remember how he sort of responds to the food? Yeah, he sort of, he sort of takes them through it because otherwise mm. they have no, no idea. Right. So he, he's, he's the one that recognizes things. He's the one that's actually had her food before when she worked right. in Paris as a chef. And I feel like he was so mesmerized by the memory of everything. And yeah, I feel like he takes him them through it and and starts getting them to forget that they're not supposed to taste and enjoy the food. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you can see in their faces, and this is also another wonderful movie of faces. And I should point out that Gabriel Axel, the director, cast actors who, if you were familiar with Danish film, but specifically the films of uh, Carl Theodor Dreyer, who was, you know, the great art film maker of the 40s and 50s. And he casts actors who are in Dreyer's films, and now they're much older. And if you are familiar with those films, it's especially stirring to see these actors who've been present in some of the most like moving artistic films ever made as these simple people sitting down. And, yeah. and the emotions, the emotions that cross their face, as the characters' faces as they start tasting because they can't not is really uh, you know, one of the high points of the film. Yeah, I think it's um, it it really hit home because again they're trying so hard to be so quiet and unaffected and unemotional, and then you just see very slowly this thaw happening. And I don't even think what's so interesting though too is is it wasn't they were really enjoying the wine along with the food, mm -hmm. and there wasn't this sort of sense of partying or drunkenness. It was this this sense of a deeper understanding what that wine's purpose mm. was supposed to do, you know, with, with the food. And also, again, I think it was cool how the general led them through it all, but right. yeah, back in, I mean, back in the kitchen, I was trying to imagine, you know, 11 people. I did love, I did love all the details of her sort of wipe, stopping to wipe her sweat and the, mm. the ban of ice water to keep herself you know, cool. Cause she was working her butt off. There was no question. It was, that was right. a lot of work and just the young kid too, that was helping her as well serve and how impressive he was. Um, I, I was drooling, especially when it came to the, <laughs> especially when it came to the blini with caviar. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the menu a little bit. Um, you've got these quail in a pastry called cayenne en sarcophage. I'm completely mispronouncing that. Um, but basically, quails in coffins. You've got the turtle soup. Uh, you've got these blinis demidoff, is I think the, how the general, you know, refers to them. And you've got huge wedges of cheese at the end. You've got fruit. There's a, is that a guava she cuts open and then brings into the, you know, just thinking about a guava in northern Denmark just kind of cracks me up a little bit. Yeah. I feel like these people were having, were tasting fruit for the first time. Right. And that scene where I remember they're eating a fig and they've probably never seen a fig in their life. Yes. <laughs> yes. The guy just, you know, it just fell apart on him when he ate it. And then it showed, you know, they slipped a little scene of the general knowing exactly how to mm -hmm. slide his spoon or fork through the fig to get the perfect bite. But 
Yeah, that was also very eye-opening too. I mean, these things that these days we're so far removed from this process right. of this process of of ingre- of being so close and in tune to the ingredients and this process of understanding the nuances between food and wine and the process between every little detail we're we're very far removed but it was magical those even just the you know the puff pastry she was making those those little coffins which were like yeah. volovants things that we learn in in cooking school that are in France that are just super classic like it's right out of the textbook some of the things she was preparing and you really you realize that this that these flavors and these tastes and this artistry was happening so long ago and it's but it's happening with everything what they were doing is they had very few ingredients but they had really good ones and they were just maximizing the mm-hmm. full flavor from every single ingredient and it all came down to like you know making the stocks and right. really not wasting a thing yeah the dessert was the one the dessert was the one that stumped me the most because i didn't recognize it i almost thought she was going to light it on fire or something because it looked mm-hmm. it looked like a cake like a, a bunt cake right like a baba like a baba o rum yep. or something but then i thought i was i kept expecting her to flambe it but it was i think a little bit simpler than that it was just like a soaked sponge cake yeah Somebody needs to make a Babette's Feast cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, you got to find the sea turtle. You got to, you know, there's a lot of work involved. What uh, what school of cooking does Babette, I mean, is it L'Escoffier? Le is it, you know, who, where does this food come from? Where does this um, philosophy of food and the and the actual recipes come from? Definitely Escoffier days. And there were a few, I forget my French history chefs, but there were a couple of other chefs that after Escoffier that, I'm sure this was all coming from, but yes, definitely. These are, mm. I feel like these are sort of from the, the royal courts, you know, mm. it, would, it would have been fun to learn how she learned how to cook. If you watch this on Criterion Channel, uh, there is, they have a couple of extras, including a long interview with Stefan Altra uh, about um, being in this movie. And um, I think she speaks to that a little bit. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you, there's some interesting information in those extras, including the fact that everything in the film is period is period pieces. Like the China, it's, it's actual Limoges porcelain that from the period. Oh. Yeah. They, they, um, it's real Claude de Vougeot, uh, the wine, the champagne. Yeah. And the other thing I noticed, you may have noticed as well, is I was struck by the way the film was lit. And I felt like I was looking at um, a, a Dutch master. I felt like I was looking at a Vermeer film mm-hmm, yeah. uh, painting at times when she's sitting by the window with a light streaming in from the left while preparing, you know, a, a plucking a chicken. Um, and then I watched a short interview with the director and he said, literally, he says, I was deeply in- influenced by Vermeer's palette. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it consciously went into the the look of the film. Yeah. But I think you touched on something really, really interesting when you talked about the way they, the wine is used, not as an excuse to loosen them up as humans, but ultimately loosen them up as spiritual beings. It's kind of like a communion. Um, and the general has this one line again, which is coming straight from Isaac Dinesen, where he says. Uh, Food is a kind of love affair that makes no distinction between bodily appetite and spiritual appetite. Oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah. 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 
I, I watched it again last night. I've seen this probably like the third or fourth time I've seen it over the years. And I was actually tearing up at the end when the, when the group comes out at the end, these old people, and they're just filled with joy. It's like the first time they're really filled with joy in their entire lives. And they dance around the well, yeah. hand in hand, under this huge starry sky. And it is, wow, that is just a scene of mortality and grace. Yeah, it was fabulous. It was fabulous from start to, you know, from start to finish, but it really looked to me like after they sort of set it up, then I was really, I was really grabbed because at first I was, because again, you know, you're, and I'm from Seattle, the the skies can be dark and, Hmm. you know, there is that feeling while you're watching and it's sort of, is it a little depressing or what is it? It's just sort of like, you know, it's heavy. Everything's heavy. Right. And, right. and Babette brings in so much, so much light, so much. And mm. the singing isn't heavy, but everything else is. The weather, the mood, the clothing, the colors, everything about it. But um, right. so the singing and the food were, were the joyous parts. Right, right. Yeah, that's very interesting. I hadn't thought of that. The singing is their joy before the food, but they're 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 terrified of the food because it's they've never the singing is the only thing. It's the first time they've tried it. And you kind of feel bad for them. Oh, well, I don't want to give away the end, but you know they're not going to get another feast like that. Unfortunately, right? It's back to fish and bread soup. Right. I really. I also too. I have to say, I was. I kept like thinking over and over again, how hard would it be? I watched her pull those blinis out of the oven and. Hmm. Um, everything that like, how did they cook in such even, you know, temperatures with the wood and doing all that baking with wood? It was just, um, and those beautiful copper pots, everything was just extraordinary. Hmm. It was, hmm. it was quite the insight. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a movie. I have to say, <laughs> I have to cut corners. Well, talking about that experience of, you know, looking at how a filmed entertainment, because it's an entertainment, presents what you do, the craft of what you do. Let's talk about this TV series that's on now, um, The Bear, which is on Hulu and is about is very, very different from Babette's Feast, about as different as you, you can get. It's set in Chicago at a rundown restaurant in the River North neighborhood called uh, the Original Beef of Chicago Land. It's one of those neighborhood joints that's been serving the same, you know, sandwiches for, for decades, um, at least. And into it comes a new chef, a young guy named uh, Carmen Bersato, Carmi, played by Jeremy Allen White. And he is there because his brother, his estranged brother who he had... Um, uh, who was running the restaurant before him had uh, committed suicide and left it to Carmi in his uh, will. And Carmi has been working in, as uh, is established as New York, at one of the most high-end restaurants in the city. He is he he is a babette. He is an anasortun, and he comes to this re- this sandwich restaurant and decides he wants to turn it into a five-star restaurant while still keeping its soul. And the show, which is eight episodes, uh, half-hour episodes, is about his clash with the people who've been working there for years, uh, especially his brother's best friend, Richie, um, who is a classic Chicago, almost kind of gangster dude, played by Eben Moss Backrack. Just one of the most annoying people you're ever going to see in a TV show, although humanized, uh, as well as a young chef, African-American woman chef, who knows Carmi, who knows his work and is 
is sort of with him. Um, the character's named Sydney. She's played by Ayo Edebiri. She's with him in his mission to make something of this restaurant. So that's the setup. And have you seen all the episodes, Anna? Yeah, I, I have. It's a good, it's a great show. It really is. Yeah. So does it get it right? What does it get right? Well, you know, I feel, I feel sort of funny saying this, but I have no idea. I have never worked in a kitchen like that in my entire life or have, have ever eat. Well, I shouldn't say that. I think I've, I've set foot in a couple of kitchens to do sort of a guest appearance, but I've never like that. There are certain things that are very similar, but I think it's this fine dining piece where there's a little bit of a subculture within a culture kind of thing. So I was actually really kind of intrigued and amazed. It was a little stressful for me to watch at oh, first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure it is for everybody. But um, I thought it was interesting that I related to a lot of things. I think the biggest one for me, as far as taking that sort of culture seriously was this sort of need to get everything more organized so that there could be mm. calm. Because I think in the restaurant business, we're always striving to find some sort of flow uh, in chaos, like under working under pressure and trying to find flow at the same time. That's a big challenge. But in order to do that, there's a certain amount of organization and systems that have to be in place. And so he was coming into a kitchen and trying to change it. And that is probably one of the most incredibly difficult things to do because, you know, he's jumping on a train that's been moving for a long time and he's trying to like turn it or change it, you know, and it's, it's really difficult. So that for me was a big stressful part, but as far as like the sort of military, like we chef, we chef, yes, chef, um, chef, chef, all that stuff that was going on. I, I've never seen that before, to be honest. It's not, it's not how we run our kitchens and it's not any kitchen that I've spent very much time in. Like I said, I've gotten sort of snapshots into a couple of them, but I think the fine dining scene is yet a different sort of culture within a culture. Mm. Mm. So uh, apparently it's the brigade de cuisine style, <laughs> at least according to Wikipedia. Um, so that's not how your how do your kitchens run? Well, I think everyone, I think we have a, a the same sort of goals in that we want sort of, we want to achieve that organization and that systematic structure. And people, there there is a lot of talking and repeating, but there isn't the that sort of salute to a higher mm. authority, I guess, that that is and this this sort of constant, like almost forced respect amongst everyone. Um, it's it's much more <laughs> it's much more <laughs> down to earth and takes up much less time, to be honest. However, mm. you know, I think what I did notice is that, you know, in our kitchen, things can be going very quick. And the part that's difficult is, is, and for people who aren't in the kitchen to understand is that, you know, when you're working and you're multitasking, um, if someone speaks to you sort of in a, in a normal, like, you know, asks you a normal question, like, you know, Hey, uh, table two, uh, is really nice couple. They're celebrating their anniversary and, but one is allergic to, you know, flour and the other one doesn't really like cilantro. Like all of that sounds like it's going in slow motion when your mind <laughs> is moving fast and you're multitasking. And so that's where this thing heard comes up. I don't know if you noticed that in the show, but yes, I did. 
but everything's like heard, heard. And so we say that a lot because it, it means that we heard you. We don't have time to be really nice and, and like talk back in a normal way, but we want you to know that we respectfully heard you, but we got to keep going kind of thing. And I think, you know, there's, there's these little things in there that if you, if you haven't ever worked in a restaurant, it's almost, it's probably very foreign, you know, and then there's a lot of safety lingo. So if you're coming around the corner, you say corner, if you're coming you know, if you're behind someone, you say behind, you know, I think kitchen people, you could every once in a while be someplace outside of the restaurant and someone will say (laughs) behind you. And I know that they've worked in a kitchen or something because, you know, they don't, if you're, if you're, you know, holding hot things and you immediately turn around, um, you always have to know that someone is behind you. So there's these, these are sort of the, you know, the basics of a not, you know, hurting someone's feelings because you're being short and be safety above all. So we say things like corner and behind you, but Mm -hmm. those things we have in common, but this whole like respect hierarchy thing is, um, is a little, it was a little over the top. I don't think I could have, I don't think I could ever do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It does make for good TV. It does. It's very dramatic. (laughs) Um, one of the things I appreciate about the show, and I'm curious to hear your thought about it, is that it it dramatizes about how a restaurant is not just about the food, but about the plumbing and about the bills and about the electrical system and about the you know the many bazillion things that you have to deal with. Uh, it's about um, you know health inspectors. It's about all of these things. And I was wondering if uh, if you what, what you thought about that aspect. Yeah, that was a really uh, realistic snapshot behind the scene of, uh, you know, you're you're looking at this guy and he's working his butt off and he's spending every, I mean, he's he must be working 12, 14 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And the most essential parts of running the business are just falling apart, you know, like right. paying the bills and maintaining the space um, are just falling apart. And I think that, you know, people don't realize that 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 that's a, a huge chunk of it. It's not just the, you know, by the time we get to service and we actually open for business and we do service, it's the easy part. Everything else <laughs> leading up to it, you know, can be extremely challenging to manage time, you know? Yeah. And then the service part is sort of like the dance or the performance that we've been rehearsing for that feels so good to just practice it and do it. Hmm. But yeah, that was, it was, there was some really great scenes in there and, you know, let alone the characters being very realistic to how important the family is Mm -hmm. and how it becomes, you know, he comes in and these people are, have such different experiences from him and, and his background of fine dining and how he, uh, just how the pastry chef, his Mm -hmm. personality develops and, and you see these glimpses of his passion and his drive. And what I really loved most of all about that show was that you really come out understanding a couple things. One is that like you have to work hard. You have to push yourself on a lot of levels to sort of achieve this greatness or something extremely difficult like what he's trying to do. And it's and it's like, okay. You know, it's, of course, you're going to work hard. Of course, it's going to be difficult. And then, and there's, because he really, really takes you through the work part and what he's, 
you know, all the challenges that he's facing. Mm-hmm. And then the other half of it are the people. And that's a really true snapshot of the restaurant business. Some really good work that's very hard. And then some people, some of them very unassuming, like these people become someone you spend so much time with and um, mm-hmm. you discover so many amazing things about them. And then like the character that we all hate, so many things that you're like, you almost love hate, you know, mm-hmm. with people. But yes, it does become a very close culture in every single restaurant hmm. like yeah you know, it, it it really gets to the dynamic this the dynamic behind the scenes which can be changed by the addition of one person and i like the way the show fleshes out the characters of the dishwashers and you know every you get to know everybody there and you get to sort of understand them and i think a lot of people do fall in love with marcus the pastry chef because his his journey is he's learning he's for the first time he's he's excited about what he's doing exactly exactly that was a beautiful beaut. that's my favorite part it was just watching that develop um because i Mm. see that all the time and that's what that's what makes us go yeah that's what makes us tick that's what that's the that's the reason why we do all this you know that's the fun part there's such a learning curve when you see people improving and learning and becoming good and again achieving that sort of flow there's this mm-hmm. physicality piece to it you know where you're working on the line and if you can become more efficient you know, with your moves it becomes you know like a like a really good basketball player a really good dancer or something it's it's um you know there's a beauty to that efficiency. And, you know, when I watch a really good line cook, uh, just, you know, where they hold their towel, where they put their tongs, how, you know, neat they are, how clean they are when they are working, the confidence they have in the, you know, by flipping something with a spoon or the way, the amount of steps they take to put a sauce down on the plate, you know, it's Mm. such a muscle memory, but a practice of fluid movement. So I, I didn't see a ton of that in there, but I have a feeling that's coming. I have a feeling that's yeah. the next season. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I mean, you're really, you're, by the end, you're really, really rooting for for the, this restaurant to succeed yeah. and for Carmi to succeed. And I, I, won't, I won't spoil it, but what you find out at the end of the eighth episode gives you hope. Yeah, I agree. It's a really, really nice show. Let's talk about the, you know, you're talking about the best part, which always, as you talk about, it seems to center around flow. When you get into that zone, when everything's flowing, that's, that's when it's really good, at least behind, you know, behind the scenes. And I think it's interesting in the, in the show, we really don't see that much of the customers. Right. Not at all. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about the worst part of it. The worst part of, I guess, serving, which according to the bear is brunch. Um, and, uh, I have my, it's funny. So this show, if you haven't seen it is very, very stressful in certain scenes when just the way it's edited, the way it's shot, you are really there with Carmi as things are falling apart and you're trying to get dishes out. And as somebody who long ago worked Sunday brunches in the West village in the 1980s, I, I, I started having like PTSD flashbacks. (laughs) And, and remembering, like, taking a dish from a, a line chef who is literally shaking as he's handing, you know, because just so much is going on. I was wondering if you, and, and brunch becomes a joke in the show. It's like everybody agrees it is the worst thing ever. I was wondering <laughs> where you felt, where you came down on the brunch question. Yeah, we just call it the B word, basically. <laughs> <laughs> 
We don't even say it. We really don't. I think, you know, part of it too is like the fact that the B word follows uh, Saturday night service Mm. is the worst, you know? So people are tired and then it's so fast, you know, people, people don't want to be at at the B word for three, three hours. (laughs) They just want, (laughs) they just want (laughs) to, they want to come in and go. It's so fast and it's, it goes and it happens right after a busy Saturday night. It's terrible. Yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> is this like is is this like an actor saying Macbeth? If you say Macbeth, you know that you'll get bad luck. Exactly. So you can't say brunch. I can say brunch, but you can't say brunch. <laughs> it sort of feels like that. We've trained ourselves not to ever bring it up. We just don't even talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it has to be it has to be there. People expect it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Before we sign off, are there any other movies about food preparation restaurants? cooks, chefs that you think are notable that you just, you know, aside from Babette's Feast or that you think, oh yeah, they, they got this part right. Or they got a lot of it right. You know, I feel like that the one with Adam, I think it was Adam Sandler and he's making, um, it was, he studied the French laundry and, uh, he studied, yeah, basically, I think he spent some time in the French laundry, but I, I remember, um, there was a scene when he came home from, I'm trying to remember the title. I'll, I'll think of it in a second. He comes home after a long night and makes himself an egg sandwich. And I think it's like people, I think people think that in the restaurant business, you're just surrounded by food and you're no, you must be eating all the time and you're constantly, you know, you're never hungry because you're just doing this the whole time and you're tasting everything. Well, in fact, you know, when you go, when you start a, a busy night at 530, you really, if you're in that flow, you don't even think about food until you're done. Hmm. You know, of course you're doing your work, you're tasting, making sure, but like, uh, it's not the same as sitting down to a meal and it's, you're tasting, but you're not eating. And it's very different tasting and eating. And so Hmm. I loved that scene because he, he's, is, makes a really careful and beautiful like egg sandwich after work. And I think that Hmm. every single line cook in the world was like, yes, <laughs> they, can all, they all know how beautiful that end of the night is. Um, there's been some... That movie, by the way, I think is Spanglish. Yeah, is that that's the movie it. you're thinking that's of? That's it, yeah. Right, from Penelope, 2004. Penelope, was Penelope, I can't remember who who was his sidekick, but yeah, that was it. I was, uh, Tia, Tia Leone. Okay. And I, you know, Big Night was an awesome one. I remember that. My, one of my sure. favorites is Chocolat, you know, that, that yes. was a... An incredible, so many realistic things. And I, I love when people can give you a snapshot of something that really, you know, represents that again, just enforces how much love and joy there is in preparing mm-hmm. really good food. Now you, you, you have kids, right? You have a daughter? Yes, I have a daughter. Has she seen Ratatouille? <laughs> That's right. Ratatouille was fantastic. Wasn't that great? Yeah. That was yeah. probably the most realistic of all, actually. Don't you really? Well, in a lot of ways, they did such a great job. I mean, old school realistic, not maybe not mm-hmm. modern realistic, but old school realistic. Yeah. That's also a movie that critics love because it has one of the few sort of three-dimensional portraits of a critic. In yeah. this case, a restaurant <laughs> critic. So yeah, that's that's the movie that's well liked all around. Just to finish up what you what you were talking about when Adam Sandler makes the egg sandwich, that made me think of the scene in Babette's Feast where Babette sits down and finally pours herself a glass of wine. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. And it's just this moment of quiet in which she 
appreciates all that that has just happened and yes. that, the, the art of what she's done. Yeah. And their enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I was drooling uh, as much over the food as I was the wine. The wine was just mm-hmm. like, you could just see the way they portrayed, even how they were sipping it. It was fabulous. The whole, it just really got you really, really considering the the value and the purpose of a really delicious wine paired with food. It was just mm. great. Such good scenes. They did such a nice job. I think you have to come up with them because obviously people see this movie, they come away hungry. They cannot make a 10,000 franc dinner like this. <laughs> but somebody needs to come up with a menu that like, okay, fine, you can make this at home that will approximate the feeling at least of, uh, yeah, what would be the entree? You can't do, you know, quails in coffins. Right. Uh, you probably could do the coffins, you know, and, and the quails. I think the turtle soup would be trickier, just getting turtle. I don't know where we would get it, but, you know, I, I feel like, and sometimes, you know, what, what I also noted was that perfect cheese, that perfect wine, mm-hmm. that perfect fruit is also a reminder that it doesn't, it, it should be long and savored and enjoyed um, but it doesn't have to be super complicated. It, the ingredients mm. are the things that matter the most, I think. Mm. But yeah, you're right. It would be fun to do some sort of riff on Babette's Feast. It would take a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it would. But that's half the pleasure. Exactly. Anna, thank you. Thank you so much for um, sitting down with us and talking. about. And now I'm hungry. Um, and <laughs> uh, ho- hopefully the listeners are as well. I've been talking with Anna Sartoon. Uh, her restaurants are absolutely wonderful. Oleana in Somerville and Sofra in Cambridge. Yeah, as Sofra's in Cambridge and Sarma in Somerville. Right. They're all wonderful restaurants. Uh, I re- highly recommend them. This has been Tyber's Watchcast, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much, Ty. That's all for today. This has been Tyber's Watchcast, an audio companion to the Substack movie newsletter, Tyber's Watchlist. If you'd like more pop culture commentary and a guide to good movies in theaters and on demand, please feel free to check out my newsletter at tyberswatchlist.substack.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hold up. 